morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and that's to be found on page 1154 of the black Bibles that are in front of you, just underneath the seat in front of you. Page 1,154. The Resurrection of Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James... Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. All right, I'm on. <laughs> Excellent. Just cause or impediment. Okay, um, let's pray and we'll get down to this great passage. Heavenly Father, you're good and uh, your word is good and you've got good news for us. We, we need ears to hear it, all of it today in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, folks, today we are talking about priorities and it's always good to be talking about priorities as we head into the Christmas season because that's a time when our priorities can get chucked all out of whack, isn't it? Partly that's why it's called the silly season. But actually the question of priorities is something that is fitting for all of us all of the time. Because what we do with our time, what we do with our money and our energy and our affections and our lives, that really reflects our priorities, doesn't it? Now I don't know if any of you have ever come across these things called motivational posters. Anybody seen these? They, typically there's a whole lot of them that have inspiring scenes from nature with uh, bold words written underneath, positive words like 
challenge and teamwork and perseverance and commitment and things like that. But then a whole lot of people, I suspect Australians, started ripping off motivational posters and came up with demotivational posters, which are now much more popular and I think much better all round. So what's happening in these demotivational posters? First one, in a flood, make sure you save the beer and the women in case of a flood. Or this one might appeal to some of you. Getting the perfect picture takes a higher priority for the photographer than stopping an alpaca from eating their kid. Okay. How about this one? (laughs) This lady, she is just making sure her hair looks like dynamite, even though she's just rolled her car. You look at all of those uh, pictures and actually you think, they've got their priorities all wrong, don't they? Maybe we should save food and other essentials before the beer if it comes to floods. And maybe you should rescue your kid from the alpaca rather than get the perfect snap. And maybe you should worry more about your crashed car than having perfect hair. But let's think about our lives or think about your life. What would you say about your priorities? Are they right? When it comes to the Christian life, what things do you think ought to be the most important things? What things should we be the most concerned about? What should we focus on? What should be our priority? That's the focus. That's the question for today. Now, after uh, quite a gap, we pick up the book of 1 Corinthians again. Uh, We've worked our way through the book of 1 Corinthians all year, and we're going to finish, as Nath said, the series with a look at the topic of resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15 and 16, and I've called Rise. And it's going to be an important few weeks because... We don't understand Jesus' resurrection or our resurrection very well. Even recently, I've heard people unsure about what happens to us, thinking that after we die, we float around as disembodied spirits, forever wearing white robes, playing harps, and eating Philadelphia light cream cheese, which I just think sounds totally unappealing, don't you? And are potentially quite dangerous as well. So I think, come along for the next few weeks. It'll be good. And today, we return... Uh, to 1 Corinthians, we're going to see how Jesus' death and especially his resurrection take priority in the Christian life. But the first thing that we need to see is that the gospel is our priority as Christians. The thing we are to focus on, be concerned about, get obsessed with, be reminded of often is the gospel. And the truth is there are many ways that you could describe the gospel. There's not just one single way, but the simplest way, I know how to do it, is to say the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, it's a message. The gospel is a message. It's a message of good news. And it's a message about Jesus, that he is Lord in his life and his death and his resurrection and his return. And because the gospel, this message of good news about Jesus is a priority, we need to be reminded of it often. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul, Jesus' specially appointed spokesman, says to the Corinthian Christians in verses 1 and 2, which I hope you have open in front of you. He says this, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and of which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. If you've been with us at all over this year uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians, you remember there were divisions and there were quarreling over issues like church leadership and discipline and spiritual gifts and other things. And it was clear that the Corinthian Christians were obsessed with all these things and looking impressive from a worldly point of view. And just as the Apostle Paul had to help them navigate all those particular issues, 
He's going to need to help them deal with the issue of resurrection. But before he does any of that, he needs to remind them that the gospel is their priority. Now have a look at those two verses in front of you. The gospel is a priority because that message of good news about Jesus is the message that Paul first preached to them when he set up the church in Corinth in the first place. The message of good news about Jesus is the message they received. It's the message on which they've taken their stand. It's the message that they are united over when they first started out as Christian people. The good news about Jesus is the message they together stood for in a city which put immense pressure upon them to dismiss it, to reject it. Just as there is not insignificant pressure upon us, to marginalize or to soften our focus on Jesus, on the news of Christ. The gospel about Jesus is their heritage. It's what brought them together, just as it has brought us together. But even more than that in verse 2, the gospel is the message that saves them. You know, fussing over things like spiritual gifts and a power struggle between people in the church, it's not going to save anyone. Only the message of the gospel, only the good news about Jesus which the Apostle Paul preached to them, which they received, will save them. But if you have a look at verse 2, have a look at it closely, you'll be reminded that salvation is an ongoing thing, isn't it? You don't just receive or believe the message about Jesus once at a point in the past, in the distant past, and then you move on to other things. You continue to hold firmly to the message of the gospel, and it continues to save you in the present in an ongoing and continuous way. And so the Apostle Paul needed to remind the Corinthian Christians of the gospel, and I suspect he needs to remind us too, don't you? Because if we forget the gospel, the good news, and forget that it's the very center of things, or even if it just slips out of our list of priorities, and how easy is that to happen at Christmas time, then our belief, he says, will be in vain. It'll be for nothing. It will not work. Without the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we believe Nothing, really. So that's a good question to ask yourself, isn't it? Is the gospel, the message about Jesus, at the center of my life? Is it the thing that shapes the way that I live, that guides my decision-making, that fills my soul with delight, that gives my heart comfort? Or is that something else? Maybe it's actually just comfort itself. I mean, maybe that's what my life's really about, you know, just wanting to kind of enjoy the good life without having to think too hard or too much about anything. Is that at the center? Or maybe it's pride or selfish ambition. You think to yourself, I've got this little project on the go. It's called Project Me. And I really am pretty committed to making sure that Project Me in all its self-actualized glory is on track and successful. Is that you? Maybe it's just unfocused and unreflected busyness. That just busyness is the evident priority that drives your life. Well, whatever it is, the Apostle Paul wants to bring us back and he wants to remind us that the gospel is our priority. It's the message that we received as Christians. It's the message upon which we've made our stand. It's the message which saves us in an ongoing way. Of course, you might ask the follow-up question, that's good, but what's the gospel really about? I mean, what's... What's at the very heart of the good news that you guys keep going on about? What's, what's at the very center of the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, let me ask you the question another way. If someone were to say to you, what's at the heart of all this Christian stuff that you believe? What would you say? When I was growing up, uh, we discovered there was a problem at our church. Not a serious problem, but an expensive one. 
someone was nicking the chairs from the hall. Just a couple per week, but over time, dozens of chairs had gone missing. And, uh, and it happened every week between Sunday night and Wednesday. And so some of the young fellas in our church, they decided they'd stake out the church hall. Like it's St. Ives, you're looking for anything to break up the boredom, aren't you? Anyway, so they decided to stake out the church hall in shifts. They would sleep through the night to find the culprit. And it turns out it was one church member who had an over-realized sense of neatness and he was breaking in and taking all the non-conforming chairs to the skip outside Woolworths down the road at the rate of about two or three per week. But uh, (laughs) while I was staking out (laughs) this fella, uh, there was an armed robbery at the service station right next to the church. And these young fellas were eyewitnesses to it. It was very interesting as they gave their statements to the police because their accounts varied on some of the peripheral details. What was the colour of the car that was parked to the side? Well, he said it was green and he said it was blue. Was it raining when it all happened? Some said yes. Others said, well, it was more drizzling. And another said, actually, it didn't start raining until afterwards. But let me say, all of them agreed that two armed men walked into the servo, robbed it, and sped away a short time later. That was the essence, the very centre of the crime. Now, the truth is, the Christian faith gets attacked on lots of fronts, uh, doesn't it? People think we're hypocrites, uh, Christians are intolerant of all kinds of folks, uh, it's just another religion, uh, all religions are basically the same, all of them are basically bad, and, and I'm not saying any of those are peripheral things or insignificant matters, But let me say, atheist, agnostic, inquirer, whatever, if you really want to take Christianity down forever, you've got to destroy its very core. You've got to destroy what's at the very center of it, its very essence. You've got to strike at its very heart. That would be the definitive way to take it out forever. And so if it's not uh, hypocritical or intolerant Christians, you know, if, if they're just a little bit kind of peripheral, what is at the essence of the faith? What's at the core? What's of first importance? Well, you'll not be surprised to hear the Apostle Paul say that it is nothing other than the death and resurrection of Jesus, and especially his resurrection. Have a look at verses 3 to 8. You look at that, and that's what he says. Now, it's not like he made this up for himself. He says there in verse 3 that the death and resurrection of Jesus is something that he received directly from Jesus as it turns out and he passed it on to the Corinthian Christians as a matter of significance of first importance have a look at verse 3 his death evidenced by his burial is a matter of first importance in other words Jesus really died he didn't just swoon he didn't just faint on the cross like some people say the expert Roman executioners did their job superbly as predicted in the Old Testament Jesus died and it was evidenced by his burial. And then in verses 4 to 8, his resurrection, evidenced by many appearances after he rose from the dead, is also a matter of first importance. If you want to know what is at the very heart, what are the essential first important bits of the gospel, you will not be surprised to hear from the Apostle Paul, it is the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I say here, especially the resurrection, because that is what Paul focuses on. So let me give you two reasons why you've got to also focus on the resurrection of Jesus and not just the death. The first one is that the resurrection amazingly, extraordinarily, and actually think about this, amazingly, extraordinarily, certainly, and really happened. Everyone dies, but rising again. How about that? 
in bodily form. And that is the point of him telling us about all the people who saw Jesus after he died and rose again to life. I mean, look at verse 4. It's quite an impressive list of of people. Uh, Verse 4, he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures, so it wasn't really a surprise. And he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12, that's the remaining disciples in verse 6, to more than 500 people at the same time. And most of them were still alive at the time Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, if you doubt that Jesus really rose from the dead in bodily form, not just a floating spirit that somebody kind of saw when they'd eaten some strange mushrooms, not just a ghost, not just some odd metaphorical spiritual rise, go and ask one of the people who saw him. There was only 500 to choose from. I mean, a few have died, fallen asleep. Most of them are still alive. And they will testify that they saw the crucified Christ risen from the dead. You know that we don't ask people to believe or ask people to become Christians without evidence. The Apostle Paul is not laying it on the Corinthians without plain, rational, reasonable and abundant evidence. There were over 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus at the same time. (laughs) They weren't all making it up. They weren't all having delusions. That shows us that the resurrection really happened. And it's the resurrection that really allows us to say that Christ died for our sins. In fact, the resurrection is what allows us to say everything that Jesus said about himself, that he was God the Son, that he was sent by God the Father, that he would conquer death, and especially that his death might pay the penalty that our, that our sins deserve. It's the resurrection that allows us to say what Paul says in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins. Or if you like, let me put it this way. What can we actually say if Jesus never rose from the dead? Never really rose, never bodily rose from the dead. What can we say? We can say nothing. I think we can say nothing. Just another guy who thought he was special who died, which is the least special thing in all of existence. Just another lunatic who claimed to be God who died proving that he wasn't God. But the resurrection changes everything because the resurrection proves that what he said about himself was true. It proves that everything he did was by the power of God, but especially the resurrection is like God's stamp of approval, saying that Jesus' death was an acceptable sacrifice for our sins, that Jesus' death did actually pay the price for our rebellion against God, that God's anger against our sin was fully absorbed, soaked, in the person of Jesus, that the justice of God was fully met in the penalty that is taken by him and that the price of forgiveness was fully paid. You know, when Jesus died, the very last thing or among the last things he said was, it is finished. In other words, the work of taking the sins of the world or of those who would believe in him, the sins of many is finished. But with the resurrection, it's as though God the Father is saying, most certainly it is. Most certainly it is. Only because of the resurrection can we say for certain Christ died for our sins. It really happened. It really did. I mean, if you were around at the time, you could have asked one of the 500 people who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead with their own eyes. You know what? If you were around, you could have been one of them who saw him. But it's not just that it happened. It's what it means for us. Only because of the resurrection can we say Christ died for our sins. And unless you affirm the objective reality of Christ's bodily resurrection, you don't have Christian faith. You might have faith of some kind, 
But it's not the Christian faith because Jesus rose from the dead and it's at the very centre of what we believe. And my friends, that is good news. It really is. Now lastly and uh, quickly for us today, the resurrection changes priorities. It does. It redirected the Apostle Paul's priorities, which is what we read about there in verses 9 to 11. You know, in um, Acts, uh, the, the Apostle Paul, who was then known as Saul, he was rounding up Christians and he was imprisoning them and he was even sanctioning their execution. And if you couldn't accurately describe him as a terrorist, man, it was pretty close, you'd certainly have to say he was like the secret police driven by a vendetta against Christians. But the resurrected Jesus appeared to Paul in a vision while he was traveling between some cities and Paul, who used to kill Christians, became one himself. That's why he says that he was like one abnormally born or the least of the apostles. The resurrection of Jesus changed Paul. It redirected his priorities from persecuting Christians to actually making Christians through the preaching of the gospel. And the resurrection actually changes our relationship to the Apostle Paul. Christians were previously afraid of him, but now Christians must listen to him and his writings in the New Testament. It just changes priorities and you see it vividly and dramatically in the person of the Apostle Paul. A complete turnaround. Quite extraordinary. Now, uh, it's always this week in, um, when I previously worked in youth ministry with young people that we'd have our final youth leaders celebration nights and they were um, lovely times actually we'd go out to dinner and do the secret Santa thing and then most importantly we would farewell leaders that had led with us for three years and they sat in my living room every Tuesday night and every Wednesday night for three years and it was a really bittersweet night for me because I'd seen them grow and mature week by week for three years and after that I just didn't see them as much and uh, I missed them because I loved them and uh, it was kind of our tradition that we'd we sort of go around the circle and a few people would say things that they really appreciated about that person uh, and then I'd say what I appreciated about them in their time with us. But we always gave the last word, the final say, to the leader who was finishing and leaving. And a few, year, a few years ago, it came around to a girl who joined us when she was 19. And uh, she was a very normal 19-year-old and uh, by her own admission, she would say that she wanted a boyfriend and she wanted to look nice, and she wanted to do well in her studies, and all that sort of thing. And uh, she was finishing up after doing two stints. She'd been with us for six years, and I'll never forget her words when she said, in reflecting on those six years, we're not meant to enter heaven well rested. I thought, wow, I'm glad she said that and not me. (laughs) We're not meant to enter heaven well rested, and she wasn't advocating workaholism. And uh, she didn't mean to be prophetic or anything like that. She was just reflecting on her time and trying to be encouraging to the other leaders. But at the end of six years dedicated and diligent service, discipling teenage girls, she said, we're not meant to enter heaven well rested. You know, she'd actually grown from a really average 19-year-old to a wonderful Christian woman in those six years. And what she was saying was that the death and resurrection of Jesus had changed her and it had redirected her priorities away from the typical vanities of 19-year-olds to the service of Jesus and his gospel. And the resurrection changes and redirects our priorities too. It did that for the Apostle Paul, it did that for my friend, it does that for us as well. And as the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians of the priority of the gospel and he explains that the death and resurrection of Jesus are at the very heart of the good news, he wants to redirect our priorities as well. 
And now is as good a time as any to evaluate our lives, to work out if the gospel really is our priority. The truth is we can't all be youth leaders for six years. You'll be relieved. We certainly not are all apostles, but if you look at your life, can you say the death and particularly the resurrection of Jesus are at the very heart of it? Can you say that? What we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is that the resurrection of Jesus changes our priorities from simply devoting ourselves to ourselves. It'll redirect our focus and energies away from Project Me towards something much greater than ourselves. It'll give us impetus for godly living and sacrificial service that is so much more valued than either just the unfocused busyness of frantic lives or just settling for a comfortable existence. So Christians, be prepared to be challenged. But there may well be some here who have never actually resolved to make the gospel at the centre of your life. You know, the real, uh, you realise that the reason why the gospel is true is because there was a person who rose from the dead. Never happens. But it did this one time. And you know that that resurrection from the dead is guaranteed historically because hundreds of people saw him after he rose. And it was recorded in a public document like the letter of 1 Corinthians so that if people were suspicious or they were sceptical or cynical like Australians are, they could actually just go and ask one of the eyewitnesses who was still alive. Some people like to say that science proves God doesn't exist. I mean, the, the truth is that science can't prove or disprove God's existence. It's just the wrong sort of equipment to answer that question. But let me say history does prove that God exists because real men and women saw Jesus, who claimed to be God, walk among them after he rose from the dead. And what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And more than proving that the resurrection is real, do you get that the resurrection is God's guarantee that our sin has been paid for, that Christ died for our sins? You ever wonder in the quiet moments of the night when you can't sleep whether Jesus' death was really effective, whether it was genuinely effective to bring you the forgiveness that we all need, that we all desire and crave, the resurrection assures it and guarantees it. Christ died for our sins. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval that Jesus' work was worthy and effective and sufficient. And I would love for you to feel the relief and the reassurance that that brings us. And if you don't know that, I suggest that you talk to somebody about that this very day. Of course, as we finish up, you might say, I know all this, I've heard it all before. I guess maybe the Corinthian Christians had heard it all before as well. And sometimes we don't need to be instructed in new things. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the things that we already know. Don't you think amidst the busyness of this season, it's strange how often we forget. And when we forget, the Apostle Paul says our faith is in vain. So sometimes it's just good to be reminded. What he passed on to us about the death and resurrection of Jesus is truly of first importance. And I commend that to us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there was a day when a man rose again has not happened before and will not happen again and of course that man was the Lord Jesus whom you raised from the dead 
It is the very bedrock and essence of the Christian faith, and Lord, remind us of that. And for those of us who still question it, help us to follow through those questions. For those of us who doubt it, uh, remind us of those 500 people who saw him with their very own eyes. And for those of us who know it, let it change our priorities that we might live for you, live for something greater than ourselves. And finally, Lord, if there are people who this very day need to speak to someone about it, I pray you'd give them the courage and the boldness to do just that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to finish uh, with a song, which is always...